Welcome to the Big Screen Symposium podcast. This session is from the Big Screen Symposium held in Auckland on the 9th and 10th of July 2022. In this session, we hear from four screen industry practitioners, producer Mia Henry Tierney, producer and showrunner Quinton Hitter, writer-director Paula Fetu-Jones, and Po Arahi Kopapa, head of content at their Mangai Paho, Blake Ihimaira. They share their experiences developing and creating work as Māori storytellers, building capacity in the industry, and their vision for the future of Māori stories on screen. This session is moderated by Associate Professor of Entrepreneurship and Director of Māori Advancement at AUT, Dr. Ella Henry. Live interpretation is by Mikara Hita. Ngā mihi nunui ki a koutou e hui hui mai nei tēnei wā. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, kia ora mai tātou katoa. Um, my job is primarily to introduce these extraordinary talents and then leave the floor for them because I think that the stories that they have to share about the kaupapa that we're talking about today is far more important and interesting than anything that I could say. So I'm going to begin first and foremost by introducing Paula Jones and she's going to talk about her journey, extraordinary journey and learning and how that relates to our kaupapa of the day. Nō reira, tēnā koe e Kia ora, everybody. Are we going to show the... We are going to begin, apparently, magically. Oh, she's One job she's got. <laughs> One job. And I'm fired already. <laughs> Let us begin with a clip <laughs> called Finna. I used to come here when I was a child. They owned all the land around here, as far as you could see. This place feels like it's dying. There's no jobs. I'm sorry for now. I know things are difficult for you right now. Our land sold from under us. Our culture scattered in the dust. Tina, things are to change. We must change them. I'm not sure I am one of those people. No one hears us fire. But when you speak, people listen. You could make our voices heard. If we can get enough of us together, we have a real chance of solving our problems. We must educate our women. This is how you ruffle feathers, Finna. This is how we will bring hope back to our people. Let's get to work. Sometimes positions of power weigh heavily on the holder, do they not? Me tu ua ua o te huarahi e aru ana koe, maua no to mana. We will encounter opposition of every kind. Rise above it. Strength comes from being united. You're here. They've come to join us. We march to be seen. We march to be heard. Not 
Thank you. Um, kia ora koutou. My name is Paula Fitu-Jones. My iwi is Te Aitanga Mahaki Whakatohi and Ngā Te Parau. The journey to there, to making that film, Fina, co-writer and co-director with James Napier-Robertson. My professional journey started 25 years ago, which is when I got into the industry. I was at film school and back in the last century, 1996. But the journey of actually telling that story was being born of a Māori father and a Pākehā mother and my whole life growing up is disconnected. So that whina, to get to that point was a huge, not a challenge, it was more of a, a knowing. This is a story I wanted to be a part of and, and I had known about whina and the land march but not her, her history or anything much about her until I started to do the research. So Ella said that I have to talk about myself and us documentary makers know that we don't do that. We do heaps and heaps of research to talk about other people. So I had to, I've done heaps of research, but then she made me chuck it all out and now I have to talk about myself. So the very first documentary I made, and all of us old ones will know what it is, and it was Gang Girls about women and gangs. And um, I was working for a big production company called Communicado. And John Bates, who's a big Scottish man whom I love very much, was my mentor. And he was asked to direct this documentary, Women and Gangs. And he said, no, I don't think I'm the right person, but I know someone who can, Paula. And so I went along to the production company. It wasn't Communicado, it was a Māori production company. And they took one look at me and said, no, she's not going to be able to do it. So John insisted that I get the opportunity to do it. And they said, well, okay, you can do it. Um, she can do it if you mentor her or, you know, your head's on the chopping block, basically, if she doesn't deliver. We delivered. We won a whole bunch of awards. People were interviewing me, asking me how I did it, but it was just a conversation like, you know, took fish and chips and cup of teas and just read the room, basically, and let the woman tell their own story. So it was merely the vehicle. And then the next documentary I made was one about street kids, and it was the same thing. I went out, did all the research, and spent three months on the streets because I wanted to understand. I knew the world, but I wanted to understand where the, where the kids were coming from. And I chose central Auckland, not south Auckland, which is what they wanted me to do, central Auckland, because that's where the kids I knew were. Took it to Communicado, and they said, yeah, that's great. We want to give it to a... Māori man director. And I'm like, mm, hang on a minute. I've, I've done the work. And um, they basically, I just said no, because I'd made all the connections, I'd done all the work. But then they wanted to give it to a man director who was up and coming as well. And I just said, no, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so I, had, I made the documentary anyway with very little support. Um, they had to give it to me because they'd already got the funding. Fast forward to 2022, <laughs> uh, and Finna. So Tainui Stevens and Matthew Metcalf brought me on as a producer, and James Napier-Robertson was the director, and he said, Paula should co-direct this with me. So, and uh, Matthew and Tainui supported that decision. So as much as I enjoyed working with these talented and supportive men, it does not seem the power dynamics have shifted very much. Yeah, what else? You know, just, what else? Yeah. 
why don't we take a break because people yeah. are going to be able to ask some Q&A, but I think that's an interesting point to end on. The power dynamics may not have changed in 25 years mm. because that's, a, I think, a useful introduction to our next, next speaker, Mayor Henry Turney, and I'm going to remember this time that we're going to look at a clip <laughs> called We're Still Here. Hold up there, please. Your ancestors here, they never left you, kid. Who? Blackfellas. Us. So Mia's going to tell us a little bit about her journey as one of the producers of this film and other projects she's been involved with. Tēnā tātou, so tahi e reriana ngā mihi ki a koutou e hui hui mai nei. Um, mama, e kore mutu ngā mihi aroha ki a koe, ki ngā ringa ringa me ngā waiwai o te kaupapa, um, ngā kaimahi o BSS, um, tēnā koutou mō tō pukumahi ki te hangai te wānanga nei. Ko ai au, um, he uri ahau no ngā iwi o ngā tikahu ki whangaroa, Ngāti Kuri te Raroa hoki, ko Mia Henry Tierney tōku ingoa, he kai hautu ahau. My name is Mia Henry Tierney, I am a producer descending from the mighty Tai Tokirau, the far north of Aotearoa, <laughs> along with our other panellists. Ella is my mum. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous, so excuse me. Just want to acknowledge the amazing panel that we've got here today. I feel really privileged to sit on the stage. My friend Blake and Q, who I've worked for before, and Paula and my mum. I think it's a really important discussion that we have today. So hopefully I can contribute something to that quarter. What you saw there was a teaser for a f- the first indigenous co-production between Aotearoa and Australia called We Are Still Here was made by a really talented filmmaker called Danny Aumua. And we've got some of our filmmakers in the audience today. I think I saw Tim Worrell. I can't see anybody else, but it's also quite dark. (laughs) The film was born from an initiative that was created by Screen Australia and New Zealand Film Commission uh, in response to commemorations that were happening around... Um, 250 years of um, James Cook's discovery of Aotearoa in Australia. Those celebrations were hurtful to Indigenous people in Aotearoa in Australia because um, his those celebrations were kind of um, tone deaf to the feeling of Indigenous people that, you know, that was the oncoming of colonisation of our people. 
And so we brought together filmmakers from Aotearoa and Australia to tell this overarching story about the effects of colonisation 250 years after that discovery. And what we found throughout that development process was that there was a similar sentiment of what people were feeling, that despite all of these traumatic things that, that our people have suffered, that the, um, the knuckle, the, the most important thing was the survival and resilience, that despite all the things that we've gone through, we are still here. And so in order to you know, honour those stories and, 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 and make them as great as possible, we took this uh, low-budget film and we made it into an official co-production in order for us to be able to access this big, which was, I've never produced a feature film, I've never produced a co-production or a spig film. So um, <coughs> to do all of those things all at the same time was incredibly daunting, but I feel like it was the the step that we needed to take in order to ha to have adequate resourcing to tell our story. Mario Ngawa, another one of our filmmakers, just came in late. Kilda, hello. And so, you know, we were able to, you know, as a Fano and as a group, learn about this new methodology of filmmaking that we were trying to achieve of inter-Indigenous collaboration between Aboriginals, between Māori, between Samoan, and also the, the tribal differences that we have because they're not just homogenous cultures, you know. Uh, Aboriginals have over 250 languages along with their tikanga and their culture that they practise. You know, Samoans are very distinctive and Māori, we have our own tribes. And so being able to honour the filmmakers and their stories as well as try to make a film with a low budget and not enough time was quite hard. And then on top of that, um, making a film during a pandemic, a co-production where you intend to travel to each other's countries in order for us to wānanga um, ātinana, to do that in person, meant that we were, I guess, robbed of those opportunities. So a lot of the production took place over Zoom. So we got to shoot the film and then we went into a lockdown and the entire edit process happened over Zoom. And I think that from the discussions with the filmmakers, that was an incredibly challenging process because you having to entrust someone with your taonga, with your story, and hope that they're able to honour that. Another part of the film strategy was being able to capacity build, so uh, giving opportunities to Māori technicians and Pacifica technicians who may have not had a feature film credit before, but this would give them the opportunity to be able to, like, a calling card to say, I've done it now, so um, you can hire me, because often we are told, well, you haven't done it yet, so we can't hire you, and it's like, well, how do you get a job if you can't be hired? So we were committed to to doing that, and that was for myself included, as well as the filmmakers, you know, being able to get a feature film credit so we can access other opportunities. Maybe if I ask also, <clears throat> Mia, because I know that you're currently working on another kind of collaboration, mm -hmm. because that's really what the co-production was, was weathering the storm of collaboration, and the most recent project you've been involved with also is a, is a very 
interesting collaboration. Do you want to talk about that as well? Sure. Uh, I am the line producer of The Lion King Reo Māori and Frozen Reo Māori, which got to work with um, Q and, and a bunch of other amazing kaifaka Māori from around the motu. And that was, in some ways, a co-production between Matewa Media, Chelsea Wynn Stanley and Tweety Waititi, um, the best bosses in the game, and Disney, and kind of marrying these two worlds of this global organisation who has a massive audience as well as infusing kaupapa Māori, te reo Māori, tangata Māori, you know. Um, and I think it's proven to Disney that with the recent release of Lion King, that there is a, an audience for te reo Māori, that we can be aspirational and that our people and our voices will be seen on a global stage and, and will be celebrated. Kia ora. Thank you. And I think that that between the two highlights some of the really critical issues that this big, bigger kaupapa is about is the future of Māori storytelling is about Māori skills, Māori expertise, and not necessarily just Māori stories, but also about revitalisation of the language, which I think leads really nicely into a corridor from Blake Ihimaira, and we don't have a clip. <laughs> Uh, and I don't have a script, so <laughs> buckle in, guys. I'm about to blow you away with some uh, yarns. Nah. Engari tēnei au e mihi nui ana ki a tātou i tēnei, uh, i tēnei ahi ahi. Um, tuatahi ake, can I just say after watching these two clips how excited I am, uh, not for myself, but for the content that our kids get to experience when, you know, when they come in uh, into their own. Uh, we're discussing heavy themes, the, the return of land, the loss of land and the return of it, uh, colonisation and Mia's movement. Um, but also, too, uh, through Lion King and Te Reo Māori, uh, my children um, champion only speaking Te Reo Māori uh, to my children. Uh, so we have content now, um, like our Pākehā counterparts, that they can engage in and are entertained by. So it's really, really important, and I'm really excited um, to see this range of uh, content coming out, as I said, for our tamariki. Um, Hewe anō, uh, tuatahi ake, uh, he mihi e mihi e Tuku ana yaku mehi, uh, e whakaro nui ana ki ngā mate o te wā, uh, ko Papa Derek tērā, uh, i roto i ngā rā uh, kua pahure. I tuku mehi atu au ki aia, uh, i te pō whakanui ngā wahine, uh, e mahi kaha ana i roto i tēnei uh, i te ao pāpāho. Um, Haunga no te kaupaparā, uh, it was a women's only event and I took the time to, to pay tribute to our papa, but I think that it's really important um, because when we talk about capacity, we have to remember all of those who passed on um, and all the mātauranga they gave, maybe not myself, but I am a product of one of his tauira um, and, and so on and so on. Um, Taiatura uh, ki ngā mate katoa, uh, kei ngā marae tēnei wā tonu e, e tuku ana i ngā whakaru i tēnei wā ki a rātou. Uh, hokia ora mai ki a tātou, te hunga ora e hui hui mai nei, tēnei uh, tātou, e noho ana i raru i te maru o tēnei whare. Um, we're all here for the same kaupapa, all very passionate about our industry kātahi, and I applaud you all for coming here today to listen to us discuss in detail um, what we think the future of Māori storytelling is. Um, nō reira, uh, ki a hau, um, ko wai a hau, ko wai tēnei. Um, I thought I'd kill two birds with one stone um, and introduce myself with a bit of a story. And 
my story kind of sits on a reclamation of te reo Māori within my own whānau. And, and the point of my kōhau today is based around whakapapa. And I think whakapapa is such a unique, very Māori thing. It's the process in which we... Um, who we come from, uh, who we are, and where we come from. Uh, so, uh, kia tīmata kōrero. Uh, my great-grandmother, her name was Kākoti Wipiri. Uh, Kāmoia Kākoti Wipiri, ia hirepo ehimaira. Uh, my my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather come from a very small settlement. Um, up north again, another mighty northerner up on stage here. Um, <laughs> called Utukura, way up in the far north, uh, well, mid-north. Anyway, um, grew up there. My, my nanny Kākoti, um, native speaker of te reo Māori, couldn't speak English. In her time, uh, she was a product of the urban drift, migrated uh, her whānau to Tāmaki Makaurau, and in that had my, had my grandfather. And she named him, uh, my grandfather, Rahiri Ihimaira. And so if you know um, any history uh, from Te Taitokiro, you would know that Rahiri is our most, he's the chief of all chiefs up north. Uh, the saying goes, if you, if you don't come from Rahiri, you must have come from a horse because, uh, you know, everybody knows who he is. So um, my grandmother, I think there's lots in um, what we choose to name our children and she chose to give him the name Rahiri. Rahiri obviously is the product um, of the things that happened post the urban drift. So my grandfather was in the era of corporal punishment and being strapped at kura for speaking Māori. Um, so he grew up not speaking Māori. And, um, and living in Tāmaki Makaurau as a product of the urban drift, met my nan, another mighty northerner, but from a, a, a bit further um, in Te Rarawa, uh, Dorothea Ihimaira, and had my father, uh, David, uh, David Arthur Ihimaira. And my dad grew up in, the, in, in Manurewa as David Arthur Ihimaira from Manurewa. And just in that process alone, um, three generations, the loss of language in my whānau from my great-grandmother through to my dad, completely gone. Um, and so the reclamation of our whānau, my dad met my mum, you know how the story goes. Um, but, but a really critical point that I wanted to make in, in the telling of the story is in there something happened and my dad decided to go to Wānanga Takiura, to um, Te Wānanga Aotearoa or wherever he, he, he chose to reclaim and go and learn Te Reo Māori. Um, and then the light of their life. <laughs> was born. Um, and my name is Blake Kākoti Ruby Ihimaira. So I, I think when I look at that story, um, my parents of the, at that time, my dad, not quite, not really sure enough at the time to name me first name uh, Te Reo Māori, but hides it in the middle there. Um, but through that, sends me to Kōhanga Reo, Kura Kaupapa Māori, Te Mea, Te Mea, Te Mea. And then I choose to go forth and have babies and bring them into the world. Um, and my daughter's name is Te Hākura Riria Kairangi Ahimaira. So we've come in four generations, the return of our language has come back and I can tell that story um, through our first names. I mean, I think that's really important. And my daughter will grow up to understand her privilege and understand that she's, she's a first speaker of, uh, she's a native speaker of Te Reo Māori. So from my great-grandmother, through to my daughter, the return of Te Reo Māori to my family, um, I can tell in a story. Um, however, my... Oh, my um, But the, the, the point being, my daughter will grow up understanding her privilege because her counterparts, I guess, everybody else in her generation, it wasn't the same. And for many of our, of our whānau, 
many of our um, tangata Māori, tangata um, iwi taketake, that our culture has kind of been stripped from us. Um, and, and the reclamation of that, if you are disconnected, is really hard to return. So she will grow up knowing the privilege of being able to speak Māori and who she is and where she comes from and what is her koha back to our journey. So um, tērā, tērā. Um, my second point I wanted to make, oh, sorry, and the point of that story um, is around permission, and I think it's a really relevant theme for our, for our kōrero today. Um, what is the vision and the future of Māori storytelling? Well, I told that story with the permission of my grandfather, who, you know, was from the era of corporal uh, punishment. So lots of trauma there, but I speak with his permission. I speak with my dad's permission um, and, you know, confronting some pretty hefty issues, um, disconnection, being called David Ahimara from Manurewa, him thinking that's his identity, from my daughter who will understand her privilege. But I think for us, um, as a, as a you know, uh, industry, um, permission to tell the stories and being a bit, having a bit of common sense in, in how we source that is really important. Um, so that was the point with that one. And also, too, um, instead of giving you the list of the places I've worked, I thought, actually, that's the start of my um, storytelling CV, I guess, um, in my storytelling history. Um, tuarua. Um, so to be totally honest, I cleared my entire schedule this weekend so I could sit and write an awesome speech and prepare um, for, for this kaupapa today. Um, but as we all know on stage, when kaupapa Māori calls, you have to answer. And I've been actually um, at a tangihanga, um, tētahi o ngā whaia, uh, one of the most formidable kapahaka performers in the entire Māori world, um, passed away in the weekend, Aroha Cassidy. Um, he uri no te taitokero, she's from up north but was living in Waikato. Um, so, so we went and paid our respects over the weekend um, to her and her whānau. Uh, and, and that's where I've been. And, and when I was sitting there in the tangihanga uh, process, sitting there inside the whare I was actually thinking, you know what? This is, this is uh, part of the koho. This is actually where we tell our Māori stories. There is no better place than a tangihanga to experience all facets of te ao Māori, Katahi, but two, all the different ways we celebrate somebody, we tell stories about them, and the different stories that we take and we listen to while, while um, being in that space. Yeah, so as I was sitting there this morning, um, I was in the kitchen this morning at 5am poaching 200 eggs in 10 minutes for Eggs Benedict. This lady was very flash and she wanted to have a flash. Her husband wanted to put a flash breakfast on for her um, this morning, which is all well and good. But if you can't imagine trying to poach 200 eggs at one time, it's quite hard. And I think I'm going to write that in my CV as a skill I have because uh, they're, they're pretty awesome. <laughs> As I was sitting there, I, I thought, okay, how else can I prepare for this kōrero? And I took the three people I could see in front of me from different perspectives and asked them about what they thought Māori storytelling is and what the power it has. And so I'm going to give you a bit of a, I did a case study and I'm going to give you some character notes on each person and what they thought, which I think are all relevant to our kōrero today. Um, first, we had Fire Linda. Now, Fire Linda, uh, she's from the, she's a heart, she's a parent of one of the students of the school. She has grown up disconnected to her whakapapa. And she told me one of the stories, much uh, similar to me, uh, was in the naming of her grandchild. Her grandchild was named after a chief of their tribe. And through the naming of her moko, she was able to connect back to her whakapapa and her whole whānau were able to connect back to their iwi because of that story bestowed on their moko. So I thought that was really awesome. Uh, Tuarua, I asked uh, the deputy principal of the kura, 
Alison Repia, another northerner, and um, what her perspective was. Um, and she said, maybe it's not the art of storytelling, but maybe we need to take, uh, we need to focus more on what the art of uh, listening to stories are in the, in the next iteration of what we're going to do. So our vision for the future, we need to be better listeners. We're, we're, we're in an industry, we're in a... Um, society where opinion is rife. We've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, we've got everything else where we're able to tell our opinion. But how long do we, how, how many times do we just sit and listen? So I thought that was really relevant. And Tuatoru, Matua Blaine. Now, Matua Blaine is a master carver. And um, in his kōrero, um, he talked about rangatahi of today, which I think is important in terms of capacity, actually turning off a phone, um, and, and you know, I'm sitting on the fence here uh, with his perspective, but turning off the phone and actually returning to talk to the old people. And so take that as you want, um, but I do think in terms of capacity building, mentee-mentor relationships, um, and getting our rangatahi on board and making our industry seem really awesome is something we need to do better at. So... That's kind of where I got to while I was at the Tangi this morning. Yeah, in our vision for the future, we must remember where our stories and perspectives are shaped from and where they come from. Uh, and now to the final point of my kōrero, which is why I'm probably sitting on this panel. Um, I'm the head of content at Te Mangai Pahu. I'm the head of content at Te Mangai Pahu, and in our job uh, at the funding agency, we have a few key focus areas. We, we focus on capacity building, creation of quality content uh, and quality in the processes and things that we, um, that we do. Just one point that I wanted to talk about in our, in our we've changed a few uh, things at Te Mangai Pāho, so um, we kind of ask for a language plan per production uh, that we fund, um, but we're also moving that um, into commitment from the production companies uh, that come to us for funding. So I always use the analogy if I'm hosting a party, all I'm doing is making sure that everybody in attendance is there for the right reasons. And so we're really championing um, commitment to Te Reo Māori from the production companies themselves. However you want to show us that, um, that's what we want to grow and develop in terms of capacity. I think with commitment from the production companies themselves, as soon as we go into other roles, we don't know how far that, uh, that, that decision goes. Um, you could have a director um, that, that has to be committed through the production company to Te Reo Māori, and when they go out to make big Marvel films, we'll naturally see Te Reo Māori incorporated into what they do. Um, so, kei reira, tērā whakaaro. But I guess... Um, None of that is achievable, and making Te Reo Māori content um, engaging isn't able to happen without our allies on board too. So um, for those of you who were in the NZ On Air corridor earlier today, um, we, we, we do lots of co-funds uh, with them, and that's about uh, opening up the kuaha, the doors, uh, for more Māori stories to be told and more Māori production companies and, and anybody else who wants to tell Māori stories as well. Um, all we ask is that the right permission has been sought, um, that you have commitment to te reo Māori uh, i te tuatahi, um, and that it's really engaging. And the last point that I wanted to talk about in terms of the future and, and what it kind of looks like is accessibility of content. And um, for far too long, we've thought that might be in the different platforms that the content plays out on, but actually at its core, 
Another thing to take into consideration are things like subtitles and making sure that the content is accessible for people to understand. Um, but also the privilege, as I talked about earlier with my own daughter, um, the privilege when you're engaging with a piece of Māori content, the access you get as a viewer to that content, to that story, to that community. Um, so, koira noi ho aku, uh, aku pahu pahu, and take what you want. I hope you're asking me heaps of important questions. Engari kahoa tu ki taku matua, ki taku taha, hei and I'll leave it to Blake's introduction for Quentin Hitter. And after that, hopefully, we'll have time for some questions. He's buzzing out about the clock. Mm, you just can't see it, but in front of us, there's a clock indicating how long we have to talk. <laughs> I brought my girl here yesterday and she argued that we visit an escape room. <laughs> when we got there, the only available the only available escape room was a spy one. In the room there was a clock exactly like that one. <laughs> Uh, one hour. <laughs> At the end of the time, we explode. <laughs> we didn't finish it. <laughs> I was listening to Blake's corridor for the Kaupapane and how deep it was. <laughs> In my opinion, we won't get that deep because we only have an hour. And the talk about te mana wahine, that's, another, that's a whole other wānanga. And the kōrero for working with other people in the world, that's a whole other wānanga in itself. Yeah. <laughs> and I brought my girl here to translate, and only then we realized there's definitely not enough time. <laughs> I'm thinking about the name of the kaupapa today, um, the weaving of the cloak of Te Ao Pao Pao. When I, when I look at it, I see some people, they collect the materials for the kākahu. Some people weave it. And some people wear it. When I look at my job in the past 30 years, I think my place is finding the holes and the problems in this kākahu. Yeah, <clears throat> All of my mahi, pukuro, kofaro, ahikaroa, 
That's my job with all those shows. Today, my new yogi, the Matu or Gumarmoni Dow to Tamurgi, Waiwogi to Tamurgi or Gumarmoni Dow to Gumatu, Kawitina Heikaitakawaima. Another job of mine is to be the middleman between the era of the Kaumatua and the era of the Tamariki. Come to Garede to Pata and Hanga Koha, Kitana, Tinira, Haditamanaka to Pata, Engari. Some, someone will question what are the holes I'm seeing in today's um, kākahu. It's not that you have asked specifically, but to do with the kōpō for today, I will answer. Kia <laughs> We have a lot of te reo Māori on paper, but it finishes there. Mm, in my past 30 years, I haven't seen much of an increase in te reo Māori with hui's like this. I've seen a lot of it on TV, but when it comes to big hui's like this, I haven't seen a lot. This is my challenge. A very annoying job was called a Māori consultant. The iwi didn't like it, they didn't want it. These people, the Māori consultants. Because when you have someone like that, your kaupapa won't go forward unless they agree to it. Back then, nobody wanted that. But nowadays, it's mandatory to have one in the law, in the ture. Also um, tied to the money. Even though it's annoying to pass by all the work, only for them to agree. Today, nowadays, it's it's just another job. It's nothing important. Just like how I brought my daughter here today to translate, I'm bringing te reo Māori and she can translate. If we manaki this way, maybe one day it will be like that. It won't be a big thing. It can be annoying, right? Having to listen to one and then the other takes longer. 
and you might even have to pay for this other translator. <laughs> but hopefully one day it'll be just like the Māori consultant. It won't be a big thing. So to finish off, Easter Island. Easter Island. Uh, I went to Easter Island a couple of years back. How many? Uh, 20 years back. It was, oh, it was a hui for the, the real katoa of Timona Nuiakiwa. Uh, we were hearing Samoan. Tahiti. Tahitian. And many others. They gave you an earpiece. That was translating all of the words they were saying, so you could answer. It's about time that we do the same. Inahare <laughs> This cope of shouldn't stop here. For example, actors and people in the government like Cliff Curtis and Timura Morrison, they speak te reo Māori, but when they're interviewed, when reporters go and interview them, it's English that they speak. <laughs> Saying we're bilingual isn't justified. Thank you. Namihike Koto. <clears throat> to remind us of all, why we're all here, we wanted to have this esteemed panel share their experiences developing and creating work as Māori storytellers, building capacity in the industry, and their vision for the future of Māori stories on screen. And I think what these, this esteemed group have done is shown you and told you all of those things, whether it is Māori telling non-Māori stories, like The Lion King Itereo, whether it is historical stories, documentarians, funders, those committed to only speaking te reo, te reo anake, that is the breadth and the depth of Māori storytelling. That is the capacity that these people have been part of building. And I hope that all of you are here for the same reason, whether you are Māori and working with us or non-Māori and collaborating and allies with us and walking alongside us. This is a kaupapa, which as a nation, we are all involved with. It is part of who and what we are as Aotearoa. So first and foremost, I want to thank those on the panel for taking the time to share those stories. I also want to take the time to answer a couple of the questions that were put to us. 
whilst the speaking was going on. So Nicole had a question for Paula, and she asks you to talk about your research process. When I, for Finna, I'm, I'm, yeah, well, I'm presuming it's for Finna. I mean, my research processes don't change at all, no matter what I do. I've always never done anything without the permission of the people. So once um, I was brought on to Finna, uh, the first thing I did was go to Pangaru and um, talk to Hine and Joseph, who are Finna's children. And then we brought on um, Irene Cooper, who, was, who is um, Joseph's daughter, as a EP, but not as a EP in name, but she had an, a desk and she was across all of the departments. So, and also just um, reading, going to the archives, because you'd be surprised at how much archives is kept. Um, audio recordings, uh, you have to sell your firstborn, go in with your philpy, whatever, you know, the gear is in order to access this stuff because it's so um, valuable. But basically, the, armed with all the information before I even start. And um, that's my, it's been the same right through, is, is get the permissions, the consent first. And that's been reiterated by what you said as well, Blake, around how we maintain the sovereignty, the tinoranga tiratanga of the stories by ensuring that we have permissions, that we've had those conversations in Wānanga with those communities that own those stories. Blake, you talked about how your stories were given, you have permission to tell them. Paula, her research process is all about starting out first by engaging with the people that you are telling the story about. This is really what true research is. Including them as well. Like it's not just researching them and separating them because stories have whakapapa, right? So you get it to a point and then you put it out there to the world and it keeps evolving. And um, I think the the um, measure of a great storyteller is whether people put themselves in your stories and they last forever in whatever way. You know, once we finished our films, we were talking about it before we put them out and that's it, that's us done. But we still have the responsibility of the people who the stories are about and who we engaged in making the stories. We still have responsibilities to them. And I think that's a fundamental difference. I mean, let's be clear, you know, Te Karere, the Māori news service began in this country in, in 1982, but Television New Zealand had been collecting stories about Māori people mm. for 20 years before that. And if you're a producer, and, and, and Happy brought this up, having to pay extraordinary amounts of money to get footage that was archived by Television New Zealand of his own mother. So these issues around ownership, archiving, permission, still remain, as you said, Quentin, to be something that we have to be able to resolve and take some kind of tinoranga teratanga over. I think that's really an important yeah. part of the process. Well, the very first film, feature film that was made was made about a Māori woman by um, a guy, you know, who's American, I think, or maybe French. So it was never seen in New Zealand. It's disappeared. No one knows where it is. But, you know, the subsequent ones after that are all about Māori. And they've got Māori in them, but not. They're, they're, there's no ownership of those stories. Yeah. And, of course, Ngāti was the first... In 1987, which astounded me when I had a look a little bit into the research of that, was it was the first Indigenous film made ever in 1987, a feature film, with, with key creatives being the Indigenous people. And the extraordinary Barry Barclay. Yeah, now. Barry Barclay. We have another question here, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Um, Arezu, 
Um, excellent achievement in Lion King and Te Reo. Congratulations. Who do you think are the audiences of this film in Te Reo at the global level? Uh, Mia, a question for you. I'm not the producer, so I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Everybody. Keep in mind that there are 700,000 people in this country who proudly denote Māori descent at the last census. There are at least another 100,000 in Australia. That's an audience of nearly a million people. I mean, Dora the Explorer speaks Spanish, right? And how many of our kids can will rattle off... You know, songs in Spanish. It's. Uh, I think it's for my daughter, who only speaks Te Reo Māori. And uh, why isn't that enough? You know, I, mm. I think we make. Why can't we make fluent content for fluent-speaking children? I guess you know that's one of the policies that I'm really proud of at Te Mangai Paho. We only fund Tamariki content at 100% Te Reo Māori. So regardless of whether a broadcaster wants to come to us for funding of that, our commitment are to Tamariki, who you know through every generation, every year that we reclaim back our, our, our real, our culture, and we, and we figure out, you know, we, we go back to who we come from and, and we find that connection. Um, we're going to have way more tamariki reo Māori as well. And so for me, and I speak as, you know, um, someone who loves to watch, uh, I've been to watch Lion King three times now, um, kotaku kōtiro, koia te tahi o ngā kiripuaki, um, but I think that the content and, and Lion King um, in Te Reo Māori is made. Hei aha te ao whanui. Ai, tika. I rongo a hau, ko te tahi o ngā mahi ngō tini pikitea, he reo pāka. The global world doesn't matter. One of these variations of the Lion King is in English. Kia ora. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do think, um, how it, it, it might connect just to, uh, to answer the Pātai, and I've been thinking this for a little while, if you're lucky enough to listen to... Um, Particularly the, the the song translations of the of the soundtrack, and um, they took the, the kaifaka Māori, the way that they translated the songs. I think there might be a, a something there for Pākehā audiences to connect with because the subtitles would match, you know, um, the the songs. We, we've never seen the subtitles with the pictures on the song unless you're YouTubing. Can you feel the love tonight for your karaoke sessions? But otherwise, maybe that's a that's an avenue where where Pākehā audiences can connect and watch the film is through the songs and looking at the translations of the songs we all know and love. I hope, well, we have time for one more question. Actually, uh, Pilicita has given us two questions um, to put to all of you. And I think that I'd, I'd like each of you, if you've got a second, a minute, mm -hmm. uh, literally. Um, Pilicita has said, as a Māori storyteller, what are the challenges that came with writing a cultural piece and pitching it to the big funding companies? And the second question, when working with the Indigenous people in Australia, did you have to do research on their particular tribe and what did it mean to, be, to you being able to work with them? And you have one minute each. Yeah, do you mean company or the funders? Because those are two different things. Well, speaking from the funder, I, I think um, what we strive, strive to achieve you know, I, 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 e rongoa nei ngā kōrero a kiu, e mea na um, horekau he take, or, or where we're through process sometimes, we create conditions um, that sometimes have um, 
ongoing effects to for the rest of the sector. So what we strive to achieve, I've, I've already talked about it earlier, um, if you are looking to come uh, for Te Maungai Paho funding katahi, we ask you to be committed to Te Reo Māori katahi, um, and that's because uh, the putia that we, we have is, is money for Te Reo Māori, so remembering that doesn't matter, it doesn't mean you have to make content specifically in Te Reo Māori, although I'd love that if you have the next big idea, that'd be awesome, but but you are committed as a as as a production company or person to Te Reo Māori Katahi and Karua that um, in the in your piece in your proposal, if it is uh, if if you are coming for um, Putia, um, that through the concept and the idea itself, um, you are the right storyteller. If not, you'll seek permission. Ira um, Tumia, if you want to have a quarter or later, hit me up. But I've only got a minute. No. And a final maybe. Oh, sorry. Quentin, did you have a comment to make? <coughs> um, was um, as a Māori storyteller working with Indigenous people in Australia, did you have to do research on working with uh, Aboriginal people? Well, we had Indigenous producers in Australia who um, took on that mantle of responsibility and the filmmakers, they told stories from their own iwi, so they were telling stories of their own people, so that is how we did that. And I guess that's the heart of what we've been discussing today is that collaboration and co-production and cooperation so that you are able to give each party, like the Aboriginal Australians, the Pacifica who worked on We're Still Here, their own voice and their own mana to be able to tell their stories in their way. And as a producer, your role was to provide the environment for that to happen. I see my role as a, a tono tono to the kaupapa, a servant bringing things together and helping people to amplify their voices. Can I just talk about, we made docos in Palestine and Cambodia and it was never about us taking anything. It was about us adding to what they already had. And again, we never did anything without them, without the Palestinians or the Cambodians working alongside us. And that's that's how we do things differently, is that we, it's all inclusive. We would never propose to tell stories about people when we didn't have the people on board. It's just something we naturally do. It doesn't need to be written into anything or, uh, you know, it's what we do. That's how we get the stories that we get. So I'm just going to back up a minute because for those of you who are not aware, Paula has made documentaries in and with the people of Palestine and Cambodia. Can you tell those of us who don't know where to watch that that work, where we might see it? Um, the one with cuts, because we were looking at this, we, it's all about, for us, it was looking about the similarities between Māori and Palestinian. And for the Cambodia one, it was um, about a Māori uh, mine clearance operator called Tikamiti Gilbert, who is from Whanganui. And um, he works in Cambodia, helping the Cambodians doing mine clearance. But that one's on Māori television as a doco. And um, the Palestinian ones are on uh, Māori television as well, but also online, Pi in Palestine. We did a web series taking... Pi in Palestine. Taking Paitangi Ostik, who's a female Māori artist, over to Palestine to work with the Palestinian female artists. And Katz was the male... Māori artists that we took over to work with artists over in Palestine. And that is what Māori storytelling is about. It is not just about Māori stories, Itereo. It is so much bigger than that. 
It is all of the things that we as a people bring to the way we tell stories, the reo we tell the story in, the permissions we gain, the communities we work with. So for me, as a moderator of this discussion in the last 28 seconds that we have together, I believe that the future of Māori storytelling is in very good hands. And I'd like you to join me in thanking these people for giving their time today. The Big Screen Symposium 2022 is brought to you by Script to Screen. We are grateful to our event partners, the New Zealand Film Commission, New Zealand On Air, AUT, Images and Sound, and Te Māngai Pāho. Voiceover is by me, Anna Corbett, and music by Poddington Bear. 